All right, so his amazing touch and word. Again, Jesus had just finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And we know that at that point, at the beginning of chapter 5, he said that he went up on the mount and sat down. And when he did so, he opened his mouth and taught. All the disciples were there. We know that many people, there were crowds that were around him. But prior to that, Jesus was teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel and healing every disease and affliction among the people throughout the land. This is prior to him teaching the Sermon on the Mount. We know that the people were astonished at, uh, by his healing. We know that they were astonished by the power that was on display openly, very visibly. They were also astonished by the end of chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. They were astonished by the authoritative teaching of Jesus Christ. And many were following him. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So they followed him up, and now they're following him down. They're just going with him. They just want to hear what he has to say. Not only that, but they, they were also bringing those that were in need of being healed physically. Those who were sick and oppressed and possessed. And they were bringing all kinds of people. Now, what happens at this point is not a continuation of his teaching or the interpretation of spiritual, moral, and social conduct that is in line with the Word of God, but rather a display of Jesus' compassion, which served to fulfill, again, the prophecy that we read in verse 17 of this chapter. It was all for that purpose. So we know why it was taking place, but it was, it was a display of, of Jesus' compassion. That's what we see. Now, ultimately, the Lord wishes that all would come to repentance, to salvation in Jesus Christ by grace through faith. In him, And so we have before us Jesus' amazing touch, his wonderful word that heals and displays God's power and proof that Jesus is the Son of God, in whom we are called to put our trust in and come to personally know his amazing touch and word in our lives. So we have three people. We have this leper. We have a servant of a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier. And we have a mother-in-law. We have Peter's mother-in-law. All of these are objects of the Lord's healing, of his touch, of his compassion. And I pray that each and every one of you are built up and encouraged by God's compassion and love for you personally through this message this morning that you would be encouraged now let's talk about the leper here starting in verse one the apostle matthew right was matthew an apostle ah okay so matthew wrote what was matthew come on he was tax collector but was he an apostle matteo okay yeah, that's your homework all right so Verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Um, now, we can read through that and go, yeah, that's awesome, he... He healed the, the leper. He cleansed them. 
And that's what he will to do, right? But there's so much in these first four verses. Now, a person who was struck with leprosy was considered to be basically um, the walking dead, the living dead. Um, in, in our terminology today, um, there's the world of Z, right? A zombie. That's what a leper was considered, just a, a zombie. Like, you're, you're the walking dead. You're dying. It was a terrible disease, destructive, and there was really no hope uh, from anyone recovering from this leprosy. A person with leprosy, let me describe this to you. Have you ever heard leprosy described, kind of laid out? Think about this. You begin with the loss of sensation in maybe a specific part of the body or parts, multiple parts. The nervous system is affected. The muscles begin to break down. They begin to atrophy. That, that means they, they start to waste away, like diminish, break down. The tendons shorten and they tighten. So you can imagine now the muscles are wasting away and the tendons are tightening and you begin to have hands that look like claws. Ulcers develop in the hands and the feet and they progress to a point to where fingers start to fall away. Toes begin to fall away. And and it progresses to the point to where a whole hand or a limb can actually become detached. And to think that this could go on for 20, 30 years. This, uh, this leprosy is hard to imagine, isn't it? That that would be possible for anyone to live through. It's not something that we see today. Not not in the United States of America. We don't, we don't see that. And it's a progressive death that takes a person's life in the most terrible of ways. And here's this leper that was approaching Jesus. This person was required to maintain a distance from everyone else. The minimal space between a clean person and a person who was leprous was six feet. And by the way, if the leper was upwind of someone who was cleaned, clean, then that person, that the leper needed to maintain a distance of 150 feet. The only thing that was more defiling than making contact with a leper was making contact with a dead person. Leprosy was an illustration, you can say a model of sin and its effects. It's weakening, contagious, destructive, and it takes the life of a person even though they are alive physically. And by the way, that is exactly what sin does to a person. You are already dead, although living. You are dead in your sins. You are dead in your trespasses, although alive. And leprosy is an illustration of sin in a person's life. A leper was loathed and rejected by society, but this leper ignored all of that. Remember that at the beginning I was reminding you of how it was that Jesus had just taught on the Sermon on the Mount. He had crowds following him before the Sermon on the Mount. And he had crowds following him down the mountain. He had a lot of people around him. And here was this leper that ignored all of that. And he knew there was no hope in anything or anyone else. But he came to Jesus humbly. And as we read here, It says that he came to him and he knelt before him. 
saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Two things that we really need to notice here. Number one, the leper knew how terrible this problem was. Um, I know that's the obvious, but it's something that needs to be said. Remember what leprosy signifies in our lives. Remember that. Number two, the leper knew there was no hope elsewhere. No hope whatsoever. We also need to notice a a couple other things. Jesus had not called the leper. He didn't notice him from afar. 150 feet out? Maybe he was farther than that. Because remember, there was a crowd that pressed in around Jesus. They they were all around him. And so remember, the leper had to maintain just a, a, a long distance. If there's any breeze whatsoever, then he, he needed to maintain 150 feet. But Jesus did not call him. And no one had brought the leper. Who would bring the leper? Another leper? But he came to Jesus, and again, he knelt before him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. By the way, this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is referred to as Lord. Make no mistake that when Matthew wrote this, uh, the people of the time knew very well exactly what that word meant. It was Yahweh. And notice also that Jesus, as he was referred to as the Lord, as Yahweh, did not rebuke the leper, did not tell him, get up for I'm a man just like you. He received it. And in fact, the way in which the leper approached him was worship. It was adoration for the Lord. He referred to him in the right manner. He came to him humbly and knelt before Jesus, honoring him for who he was and who he is today. The leper believed Jesus could heal him, but did not demand the healing simply because he could. He didn't demand it. He requested it. And we see here that the leper left it up to Jesus to heal him or not. There are many people who call Jesus Lord and yet refuse to worship him. Think about that. I mean, last week I told you that you could be a believer in proclamation but an atheist in application. And this is the very same thing. We can, we can say Lord, and yet fail to worship Him and adore Him and honor Him with our lives. We can compartmentalize Him and worship Him on a Sunday for maybe an hour or so, but then live like an atheist, a heathen, for the rest of the week and then come back and do it again. That's dead religion. It's worth nothing. Again, this leper is just a beautiful picture of a person who was completely believing and surrendered to Jesus Christ right then and there. He calls him Lord and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. I know you can. Nonetheless, I am bowing before you and I'm giving you your due honor. 
I'm praising you. Here before all these people, I don't, I don't really, really care. They will say I don't belong, but yet I'm before you. And Jesus touched the leper and spoke to him, and he said, I will be clean. There was so much going on here. So much. There were great crowds following Jesus. He had already healed many and just taught for some time. There was a buzz about the crowd, and more people wanted to hear what he had to say. But then I imagine the people quieted down as this one man. And by the way, a leper had to say one thing as he was coming through. You guys know what that is? Unclean. He had to proclaim, unclean. I'm unclean. I'm coming through. I'm unclean. Right? So you can imagine the crowds all around Jesus, just everyone talking, and at the same time wanting to hear, like listen to what Jesus was saying, if he was saying anything. And then in the distance you hear this, unclean! Unclean! You're like, hey, make way. You, You don't want to get close to that guy, right? Unclean! Unclean, coming through. Unclean, unclean. Yes, excuse me, pardon me. Unclean. And here he comes. I've, I, I would think, I'm just, I don't know. We, scripture doesn't tell us, but I would just think that, okay, so what's Jesus going to do? He's a Jew. He's a teacher. He was regarded as one. And here comes this leper. I would think that the leper respected the distance. He stood at least six feet from Jesus and, and knelt. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus was filled with compassion at that point and touched this man, and immediately this man was healed and made clean. Immediately. There's nothing else to do. It was done. He was clean. And after this, Jesus told him to present himself to the priest to be deemed clean by society. Go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses had communicated by the word of God to show that you are clean. But he did tell him, hey, just don't tell anyone how you got healed. Don't don't tell anyone about this. Now you think about it. Was there anyone around him? Yeah. You think all eyes were on Jesus and this leper? Yes, right? It's not like everyone disappeared. And here he is telling this man, um, go, you're healed. Go show yourself to the priest and be welcomed back into society. But, but don't, don't tell anyone about this. So he didn't listen to Jesus. He couldn't help himself. He told everyone, according to Mark chapter 1, verses 44 and 45, wouldn't you? I would. It's like, wow. You know, I refer to him in the way in which I thought I should refer to him. He's Yahweh. He is Yahweh. He received that. And he healed me on the spot just like that. He already believed. And he was healed by the Lord. You see, at this point, though, It wasn't time for Jesus to be formally revealed who he was, nor did he want to be known as a celebrity healer, uh, not this personality, right? 
That's not what he was wanting, desiring to be known for. But as a Messiah who was filled with love and compassion for the people. And it was for the purpose of fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah had given in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Now let's move on, and we're going to put all this together. Let's talk about the soldier. Verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel, have I found such faith? I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. We're still on the same day. There's a lot going on. He healed a leper. And he enters Capernaum, his hometown. And here comes this Roman centurion, an officer of the Roman army, approaching him and appealed to him to heal his servant that was paralyzed and suffering terribly. He appealed to him, this Roman centurion, appealed to Jesus on behalf of his servant. It's unheard of. I mean, this is not your normal, everyday Roman centurion. Because he had actually the right to even kill his servant because he couldn't perform. He had that right. It was one of his servants. But instead, he saw Jesus. He traveled to where Jesus was. He found him and interceded on behalf of a man who served him. The master of this servant didn't just come and flippantly request, hey, you know what, I mean, I heard that you're kind of healing a bunch of people, and perhaps, you know, if you can, would you heal my servant? You know, he's paralyzed, he can't work, he can't do anything for me, and I would like for him to get back up on his feet and, uh, you know, get to work. You know, so could you do that? He, he, He didn't do that. He came, and very genuinely and very sincerely, he pleaded. The, the words here is that he pleaded with the Lord. In other words, he, he begged the Lord. Is that, is that what a, a master, someone who is in charge, would normally do for his servant? And the answer is no. They wouldn't normally do this. This Gentile, this Roman centurion, had ample understanding of Jesus' spiritual authority. Even in the midst of it all, 
he, had, he understood because he believed who Jesus was without a doubt. Verses 8 and 9, one more time, but the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this. And he does it. So he knew. Listen, I know I have authority over my men. But you, I know, you have authority over all men. And so just say the word. Just say the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. But what we see here is that Jesus, in answering him, he was, he was willing to go to the centurion's, centurion's home. He said, no problem. Even though I've had a long day. I just healed a leper. Did you hear about that? And you come to me, let's go. And, and he wanted to go. He was willing to go. He said, I will come and heal him. So he was willing to go to his home. But he didn't, we didn't get to see that happen. Um, there's a lot going on there, by the way, because no doubt, again, the crowd's all around Jesus. He has come down to Capernaum. And at, the, at that, in that day and age, uh, for a Jew to go into a Gentile home would be just unspoken of. There's, there's no way that a Jew would go into a Gentile home because the Gentile home was not worthy to have a Jew go into it. It's like, wow. That's, that's wild. I mean, they, they never thought that uh, a Jew would need to go into a Gentile home. What purpose would you have in a Gentile home? But we didn't see that happen. What we did see is that the centurion showed that he demonstrated great faith and believed that Jesus could say the word and it would happen. It would be done. This Roman soldier understood that a direct order from a centurion was an order ultimately that was brought forth from the emperor himself. A command was to be followed out fully. The emperor did not have to be present, but only speak the word, and it was as good as done as the word was delivered, and the order was followed out. I remember very well being in the military, being in the Navy, and receiving a direct order. It may as well have come from the president, and it was to be followed out. Do it, and do it now. It was to be followed out, I under, I under, and I understand what this Roman soldier understood. You say it, and it's done. Our commander-in-chief speaks, gives a command, gives orders, and those orders are executed and followed out. And the soldier knew that very well. And yet, when, when this centurion, this Roman soldier, displayed this kind of faith, Jesus was filled with awe. He, was, he marveled. He was astonished. By the faith of this centurion. And Jesus says he hadn't come across. There's, there's, not, there's no faith in all of Israel. Like this Gentile right here. Can you imagine all the Jews around him were thinking. We have faith. We have faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We obey the commandments. And yet you're saying that there's, there's no faith. Like the faith of this centurion. 
And they all heard it. And that's what Jesus was marveling over, his faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And then he goes on from, from this, and Jesus speaks in verses 11 and 12. And he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that place? That's hell. And he speaks of heaven. Heaven is a place of rest. Hell is a place of eternal conscientious torment. Both places are real. And Jesus spoke of this. Now, if the first wasn't um, offensive enough, I haven't seen faith like this guy right here. And by the way, there will be people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israelites, that are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven, but will be in hell. Like, whoa, wait a minute, time out, time out. What, what did you just say? This was shocking to them. This was not something that was easily received, not something that they understood at the time. They all assumed that the great messianic banquet would have no Gentiles at all, and that all Jews would be there. That's what they believed. Well, Jesus corrected both of these misconceptions as he continued to teach through the Sermon on the Mount. You know that he was interpreting his word, right? He was given the meaning. He does it again here. And it's no doubt shocking to them. He corrected both of these misconceptions. Not only that, but he even said that there would even be some Jews that will go to hell. Again, that's shocking. How is that possible, right? Jesus spoke of hell a lot. He warned all of the people. It's a real place, but so is heaven. And he came to set the captives free, to seek and save the lost, to redeem, to reconcile mankind to himself. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we have this, so all of this is like really disturbing to those who are hearing who are Jews, but to the Gentiles, that's good news. And the centurion was there. And Jesus did indeed heal the servant with a word, and it was so. There's, by the way, there's so much more. I mean, you can go into this, and I encourage you, anytime we go into a, a study like this, go like for the next few days or so, just start looking through these verses and study it for yourself, because there's so much more that we could cover here. But this is overall, hopefully giving you a good understanding of what's being covered in these verses. Now in verse 13, Jesus healed the servant with the word, and it was so. It says, and to the centurion, Jesus said, so, you know, he turned from addressing everyone to now addressing the centurion and said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. He, he believed. And Jesus knew his heart and the intentions of his heart. Because let me back up just, just a little bit. Let's look together at verse 6. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. 
Do you see any request, any question there whatsoever? No, right? No question mark. You just made a statement. And Jesus said, I'll go to your home. He said, no. I know that whatever you say here is as good as done. And Jesus followed through and he, and he, he knew. He knew why he was there from the very beginning. And he healed him. It's just, it's a beautiful display of God's power, of Jesus proclaiming who he was for the people to know. At some point, he will proclaim exactly, without a doubt, I am, right? So, again, I want to remind you of the crowd that was gathering around him. First a leper, now a Gentile. And all are amazed, no doubt, at this point. But then he finally gets into a home. He comes into Peter's home. And in verse 14 it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. We'll stop there. So, again, you know, Jesus finally got to Peter's home. And lo and behold, here's Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick. She has a fever. She's laying there. She's not doing anything. Have you ever had a fever? I mean, it just puts you out of commission, right? You're just laying there. You can't do anything. You don't feel like doing anything. And it just zaps you of all your energy. So Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. So he was married. And because he was married, he had a mother-in-law. So there is a specific religion that says that the Pope, right, is, is not to have a wife. Well... They say that Peter was the first pope, the Catholics. You guys know this, right? And so we can look straight all the way back to Peter's day with Jesus. And, well, he was married, right? And he had a mother, and Jesus did not rebuke that. In fact, when a wife comes along, a man, and you're serving, you're really serving together. We're going to see in a moment how it was that that uh, Peter's mother-in-law got up and served, served Jesus. Was Peter serving Jesus? Yes, he was. So was she, right? By the way, I'm just going to put this plug out there real quick. Next year, I'm already already preparing right now. I'm going to present. We've got yet to select a specific day of the week, but I'm thinking more likely Sunday nights. We're going to cover a lot of things that are impacting the church today that are basically deceiving and, and, uh, and drawing many people in the wrong directions. Movements that are happening within the church that are drawing people away. And you guys, you know, many people are going down just the wrong paths. Um, uh, NAR, to speak of one movement within the church. Uh, ecumenism. Um, and also, we'll be talking about false religions and cults that are very prominent today. And how it is that we can become knowledgeable of those things and um, give a right defense for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, just to put that out there, and um, in, in that way, you realize when something false comes along, and you're able to recognize those things. All right, so... This, um, this illness, 
Was it as severe as a leper? And you could say no, not really, right? Uh, what about a paralyzed man? Remember, this paralyzed servant was remote and he was suffering terribly. Was it as bad as that? It's, I mean, you would consider it not to be, right? It's a fever. Right? And she's laying down. You would think, okay, she's going to get better. Leave her alone. Don't pray for her. Just give her rest. And Jesus, no, had compassion over her and touched her. That's all he did was he touched her, right? And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. But what is too difficult for, for Jesus? Is there anything? Not a single thing. With God, all things are possible, according to Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. All things are possible with God. This was different. The leper humbly worshipped Jesus and requested a complete cleansing. The centurion interceded on behalf of his paralyzed servant. Jesus touched the leper and spoke a word with the centurion's servant. But here, Jesus bent down and touched this woman's hand. No one asked. No one pleaded. No one interceded. He willed and he did. It was different. See, sometimes we're looking for this pattern. Like, if we just do things this way, then we'll get this response, this outcome, this will happen. But with the Lord, you know what? We just are called to be faithful, to be obedient, to walk out in faith. And He wills what He does. He does what He wills. And and, uh, for us, we just need to stand with Him and be faithful. But this was a fitting response. What... Peter's mother-in-law did. As her fever left her and she regained her strength, she got up and immediately began serving Jesus. Immediately. And again, this was a fitting response to being touched by Jesus. Serving Jesus is evidence of a life that is restored to spiritual health. I think back about the time in which I recommitted my life to Christ. I knew that I was in a place to where I was laying down. I was worthless. Uh, you could say I had a fever and, and I was of no significance, no, no good to the Lord. I was not serving Him at all. But when He restored my spiritual health, when I cried out to the Lord and I asked Him for forgiveness and I repented of my sins, and I knew that at that point my spiritual health was restored, from that point forward... My wife and I, we've been serving the Lord, and we haven't looked back. And I know that that's the right place to be. The same place where Peter's mother-in-law was on that day is the same place that we should be found serving the Lord, honoring Him, and bringing Him glory. But this day was not over, and just kept going. Verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus continued to touch and speak, healing the physically and spiritually sick. Those who were filled with sicknesses and those who were oppressed with demons. demons. And it was all to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. Again, Isaiah 53 Verse 4, to show that Jesus was and is the Messiah, the Son of God. The leper was aware 
And, and this is where I want to just bring it all together because we're going to go on through Matthew. We're going to see more healings. We're going to see all kinds of things going on. A paralytic and uh, um, two men with demons. Uh, but in between that, we're going to see how it is that Jesus calms a storm, uh, the cost of uh, following Jesus, things like that. But I want to bring this all together in this. The leper was aware of his hopeless condition and knew that there was no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And this is true of those who remain in their sin. There's no hope. But we need to be aware of our hopeless condition outside of Jesus Christ. And I would plead with anyone who remains in in their sin to cry out to Jesus and ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to wash you clean from your sin by His shed blood. You see, He died on the cross for your sins. He paid the price that we owed. He didn't owe it, but He shed His blood on our behalf. He was our sacrifice and is our sacrifice. If we look to Him, if we, uh, by faith, believe that He is the Son of God and He died on our behalf. Not only did He die, but He was buried on the third day He resurrected from the grave. He was victorious over sin, and he was victorious over the grave. And if we believe Jesus for who he said he is, and ask him to forgive us, the Bible says that we are forgiven, and that we can know salvation in Jesus Christ. You see, the centurion confidently knew that Jesus had the authority and power to heal And his trust in Christ was unmatched by anyone else. Unmatched. And that's really the faith that that we need. Not kind of a surfacey kind of a faith. Yes, I'll proclaim it, but I really don't believe it. No, this is ensuring in front of everyone. This Gentile approached a Jew. And not just any Jew, but the Son of God. And he asked this very thing for his servant because he believed who Jesus was. Peter's mother-in-law was a display of Jesus' compassion and love, and her response is the manner in which we should respond when our spiritual health is restored. None of the three were able to make themselves new. This is the last thing to cover. None of them could make themselves new. None of them could bring healing None of them could make themselves straight. None of them could restore themselves, but only through the amazing touch and word of Jesus Christ. You may be one of these three. Jesus may not always heal physically, but he always desires to heal you spiritually. And so I plead with you. You may be in that place to where you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You stand as one with the leper. You may be one that comes and is interceding on behalf of someone else who's not able to walk, who is spiritually just down, can't, can't do it. And I say for you, for you that's interceding on behalf of someone else, keep praying. Keep praying because you have no idea the work that the Lord's doing through those prayers. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And through those prayers, he's assembling a whole team of people to come around that person who is paralyzed and down and lift them up, planting seeds and watering, and at some point bringing the harvest. 
And some of you may be like Peter's mother-in-law. You're, you're just, you're down. You believe in Jesus Christ for who he is. And you're laying there, but you just need a touch from the Lord. You need to have whatever's ailing you and keeping you down to be gone, to be rid of, whether it be doubt, whether it be sometimes depression. And by the way, the Christian can be oppressed, cannot be possessed, but can be oppressed. And I can tell you that you will very quickly get into a place of darkness if you're not in the Word, if you're not praying, and you're not in fellowship. You'll be in that place just like Peter's mother-in-law physically. You can be there spiritually to where you're, just, you're down. You're not functional at all. And maybe you needed to be, needed to be reminded this morning that, that the, Lord, the Lord has touched you this morning, spoken through the Word. His Word does an effective work in your life. It, it does that which God has intended for it to accomplish. It doesn't come back void. So if you need to hear that this morning, and I say, rise up. Rise up and start serving the Lord. Because you have a place with God's children to serve Him. And I pray that God, you allow God to do that effective work this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are, Lord, just, uh, we are in awe of your love for us, your compassion. And I pray, Lord, that we would respond to that love. Lord, you demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would surrender to you, that we would cry out to you, that if anyone here has not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. That right now, wherever you are, that you would cry and plead to the Lord and just ask him for forgiveness and for him to be Lord of your life. And the word tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. And I pray, Lord, that anyone who was needing just a, a touch from you to be refreshed in their spirit, that, Lord, that they would simply receive that touch from you, that they would receive your word and rise up and continue to serve you and bless you all the days of their lives. We pray for those who are down, perhaps prodigals. I pray, Lord, that you would do a, just a, a wonderful work in their lives, that you would surround them with people who would encourage them to return to you. Lord, that they would come back to a father who is there and willing to receive them with open arms. And so, Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you for your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.